morning, but I'm really excited about what God is doing in our church and um, uh, this series and this, this season of our church is exciting. Um, one thing that um, we announced, that I announced this week that I'm excited to share with you is that I actually um, started a podcast called The Rest, and I want you guys to go watch it. It's called The Rest because um, there's so much more that goes on in our church besides just the typical things that you engage with. So it is the rest. It's the rest of the sermon. It's the rest of the staff. It's the rest of the faces. Um, and so we have people from the church who I interview every other week. We have staff members who you get to hear what's more, what more is going on in their life. We have more of, of like the sermon, more footnotes, more stuff that I get to, to talk about. And uh, it's really exciting. It's really cool. This week, um, the first podcast that came out, um, uh, I interviewed Will Trapp from the Columbus Crew, and so I sat with him for over 15 minutes, and he shared a lot of what's going on in his life. Um, if, if that alone is the reason to go listen to it, you should, um, but I think it's going to be something that could uh, kind of be a good supplement for just staying connected to 514 Church. So this is now on Spotify, it's on Apple, um, jump in and uh, uh, subscribe to it and listen to it, and so you can stay connected to what we're doing. We're going to start a section, I think this week called questions so that you can email in and, and ask a question and we can address those uh, through the podcast. Uh, it's really, really fun. I'm really excited about it. And uh, so go ahead and jump on. We had over 200 people already listen and we just kind of did a cold launch. So please go and grab that. I don't know about you, but I'm like, uh, I, I mean, I talked about the AirPods. Like I listen to podcasts all week long. Um, it's just in and out of stuff everywhere I go, um, whether I'm on the bike with, uh, with my dog or whether I'm like just reading something. I'm confused. I shouldn't be listening to podcasts while I'm reading, but I do. Took a nap yesterday and listened to two podcasts. Thought, well, I got to go back and do that. Um, but anyway, so it's just a, another place for you to engage what's going on at 514 Church. Um, you know, something I was made aware of, it was, it's something that I've known for a while, but something that just became overwhelmingly clear to me over the past couple of weeks is this idea that in Columbus, Ohio, if you're like me and you grew up uh, here in Columbus and uh, I, I was born at Riverside Hospital and by the time I was five years old, I had a Buckeye football that was autographed by Chris Spielman and Carlos Snow. I have brought that to church one of these times. I've realized recently um, that I and most of us who are like that or who are huge Buckeye fans and live in Columbus have scarlet colored glasses. Like, we see the world through Buckeye. We are um, Buckeye optic. We are literally like, um, the, the, we just look at everything. And it was really, um, it's obvious that we, we see the world through the Buckeyes, and, and it's kind of the big thing that we have here. And we love Buckeye football, and we love all the different pieces and the different teams of the Buckeyes, and, and baseball, and it just we love, like, the Buckeyes. And it, it, we're proud um, that, that we have the Buckeyes, and we're proud of how um, how like long the history is and, and, and how big the stadium is and how many national championships they have and all this stuff. Um, but, but one of the things that happens when you're, when you're so ingrained into a culture like the one we all live in here in Columbus, Ohio, is you do start to see everything through rose-colored glasses, through scarlet-colored glasses. It's almost like you just, you implant the Buckeye world over everything. And, and it honestly almost becomes an inability to see things clearly. Um, and this was brought to my attention during this, this game versus Clemson. Um, I, when, when Wade did the targeting, I was so mad, and I was texting people, I was standing up, I started sweating, 
And I'm like, that is not targeted. And I just, it, I, I just told everyone I know, they're arguing with me, well, this, the crown, the this, and I'm just like, it's not targeting. He, I, just, I did the whole argument of he moved, he shifted afterwards, he didn't launch into him. I did the whole thing, and I was just completely certain in that moment that he didn't target. And then about a day later, I was like, oh, yeah, he targeted. Oh, yeah, he did. He, he definitely targeted. And ultimately, like, that whole game for so many people was this idea of scarlet-colored glasses. It's just like, oh, man, the refs. Because then they found out later that the touchdown should have been a touchdown, and that was officially ruled that they made a mistake. So there you go. We should have won. The rest of the world looks at that game and goes, you guys lost the game. Lots of other people have refs make bad calls. I mean, how many times have we beat Michigan because of bad calls? Michigan fans? No one? Oh, see, we don't like that. We don't like that idea. We beat Michigan the one time with JT Barrett on the, the fourth down, the, the first down. I mean, remember Jim Harbaugh? Looked about that, that big. Looked about that big. Now, whether or not the call was made, I mean, hey, it goes another way, and it's, it, it, it might be, you know, you might not have the uh, 7-0 and draft beer at uh, Urban Meyer's Pine House. I mean, that's a big loss for Columbus. Okay, so the idea, I, I look at the world through, uh, in Columbus through the Buckeyes. They can do no wrong. They're perfect. And ultimately what happens is, is when you get outside of it, you look at, man, I mean, that, look at that last drive where Clemson just had like five plays and they scored a touchdown. Where's the Buckeye defense? Oh, yeah, we just want to forget about that. You just forget about that. How about J.K. Dobbins dropping the ball in the end zone a bunch of times? All we want to do is look at the things that other people did wrong because our Buckeyes, they're perfect. They can do no wrong. And we all do this. Like, we all do this with things that we're fond of. We all do this with things that, that make us feel comfortable. I mean, when, when Katie and I first got married, like, the first thing I did um, in our house was build a Buckeye basement. I had a Buckeye basement. Raise your hand if you have a Buckeye basement. Half of us have a Buckeye basement. It's the place where you watch the Buckeyes. I mean, there's an entire room committed to the worship of Woody Hayes. I mean, that's what we do here. We love that, and we look at the world through that, and we look at the rankings through that, and we look at other teams through that, and we look at the Clemson LSU National Championship, and we go, we're a better team than them. You listen to any other outside sportscaster, and they go, the better team won. Clemson won. And you hear me say that, that's like sacrilegious. That sounds like I'm like up here preaching a false gospel. The better team won. Ah, see? <laughs> we don't like that. We don't like that, 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 to even think that way, because we think, oh, they could have won. They should have won. It doesn't matter. They, they won. They beat us. It's the curse of Woody, by the way. This is my commentary. You know that we've never beat Clemson. Never. Ever since Woody Hayes punched that kid in the neck. We've never beat him. I shouldn't say that out loud because it'll be like this cyclical thing. We can't beat Clemson. Lord, help us beat Clemson one day. I don't know. I want to. I want to so bad. But what happens is, is we look at the world in Columbus through these rose-colored glasses, and it messes up sometimes the truth. And sometimes we don't get the whole picture because we see it through these rose-colored glasses. We don't get the whole message. We don't get the whole, the whole idea. We don't actually get the reality. And for some of us, there's a piece of our faith that I'm going to talk about that's going to rattle your cage. Now, I have a question. Are you okay to come to church and hear something that makes you a little uncomfortable? I, I need to hear, I need to hear, like, clapping. Like, I need, I need you to think through it. Like, like, right? Like, okay, like, 
if you come to church and you want to learn something, doesn't it, isn't it implied that maybe there's something that there needs to be learned? Isn't it implied that all of us are on a journey and that change is implied, that, that our thoughts about something need to constantly change? There are certain things that we, we hold fast to, that we never break away from, but even the depths of those things change in the perspective. Now, ultimately, there's a piece of, of theology that relates to all of us that is so kind of a half-truth. It's kind of a half-idea. So it doesn't mean that it's not true when you look at it kind of in a vacuum, but it's been said that a half-truth plus a half-truth equals no truth. And there's a theological idea that has affected so many of us that we don't see it. We actually don't actually see it. Like we, we see the targeting, we go, it's not targeting. We have rose-colored glasses as it pertains to this piece of theology, and all of it ties so directly to our identity that I think if we can kind of remove this lens, then we can see ourselves better and see God better. So I'm going to share something with you. I've shared this before, and people didn't like it. I've had people sit with me after I've taught this piece of theology and go, you know, that's made people very uncomfortable. So, again, are we ready to get a little uncomfortable? It's church. We're going to grow, okay? So, if you leave the church because of what I'm about to talk about, I feel sorry for you. All right, like, don't, don't do that, right? Like, stay with it because the reason that I want to teach it to you is I believe it is so imperative for identity and for your belief of who God is and who you are. And that is what the series, I believe that this piece is so imperative that if you miss it, you might miss more than half of what this whole thing is supposed to be about. And I have to confess that for a long time, I missed it too. A long time. And so recently, over the past two or three years, I've been introduced to another perspective that adds to a truth that we all believe that if we don't embrace it, we're missing a major part of our faith. So I'm going to share some, some stuff right now. And I know you're like, okay, you said it. But it's good because I got tension. You all want to know what it is. Part of being a speaker is making sure everybody wants to listen. You guys ready to listen? All right. You want to hear this. And here's what it is. And this is an oversimplification. But this is something that I've talked about. And I'm going to talk about it again today. And it's called this. It's called evacuation theology. And what this is, in the most basic sense, is that there is a whole sect of Christianity over the past two or three hundred years that was affected by something over a thousand years before that, more than that, Platonism and Gnosticism, which essentially informed people to this idea that their minds and their spirits are separated fully from their body and that the body is a, a secondary thing and the mind and the spirit is above that. And ultimately, what Jesus came to do, because that idea has been in, brought into how we interpret the Bible, that's the lens that we, that, that we look at the Bible through, we have believed and people have preached that what God did through sending Jesus Christ here was to send Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that one day you could leave this place. And go to heaven. So the idea is that God, he died. He rose from the dead, physically resurrected. But the point of all of that was that when one day your body would go into the ground, your spirit and your soul would go to heaven. 
Now, everyone hears that and goes, I like that idea. When we talk about theology and we talk about funerals and where people go, we're talking about what happens to someone's soul for a moment after they die. And the Bible actually talks very little about what happens right after you die and your body goes to sleep and you die. It says a little bit. It says we go to rest. It says that we'll be with God in paradise, essentially. You can go check all my work on this. But ultimately, the Bible does not teach that the ultimate trajectory for humanity is that you get saved so that you can leave planet Earth for some type of other experience in heaven on the streets of gold by the Crystal Sea. That's not the biblical idea. Jesus never, ever said that. He never said that. So some of you are wondering, why do I think that? There are people that have taken these ideas, and it's not a holistically wrong idea. Getting saved, being born again, being spiritual, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, so there has to be a separation. The reality is is that what the Bible teaches is that Jesus' goal was to get you back into the state that he originally designed you here on earth. Here on earth. And that you're going to go through a process of death and burial and resurrection on this earth. And your resurrected body, just like Jesus's, will be what you live on this earth with for the rest of your life. When Jesus was on earth, he prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this messes a lot of us up because we go, wait a minute, heaven is up there. Heaven is wherever God's space is. When Jesus is here, he, he kind of moves in and out of heaven and earth. It's much closer than you think. I know this is a lot. Hang with me. Jesus Christ, his purpose was to deliver us from the forces of evil in the world, to defeat them ultimately, prove that through resurrection, and offer that to the church so that they can live their lives on earth as people who have been changed by God forever. And once physical death comes resurrection will come, the Bible says this, and the scriptures end in in the book of Revelation with John saying, I looked up and I saw heaven, what? Coming down to earth. So ultimately, your trajectory is here, but he wants to do something to you in that process. Now, you understand how incredibly, like, impactful this is. I mean, so many people have been saved, and what they think by being saved is, when I die, my spirit's going to go to heaven. And you might be thinking, well, if I didn't know this other part, Joel, does that mean that's not true? No. It doesn't mean it's not true. It means that it's a beginning. It means that it's a start. It means that even less than that, theologically, is what it takes to simply place your faith in Jesus. You can believe in Jesus. You can place your faith in who Jesus is, God, and you can be saved, and then you can start to learn, and that's what we're doing. We're learning. We're adding. We're growing. And so I I just want you to understand this idea of get saved so that when you die, your spirit goes to heaven forever. That's not what we believe here. That's not what I believe here. What we believe is that when someone embraces Jesus Christ, something happens to them immediately. They're transformed. God gives them the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at it. One day their body will die physically, but then through Jesus Christ, those in Christ will raise from the dead on earth. And God will bring his kingdom back down to earth, and we will be what he originally designed us to be. Now, 
You guys excited to learn something new and scary? Oh, it's a little bit hard, right? It's like, that's, that's, con- that's confusing. And what you need to do is you need to go and you need to dive into what I'm talking about. You need to go read. I'm telling every person in here, you want to learn about this? You need to go read um, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And you need to go listen to some podcasts, and you need to dive into this. This is your personal journey, and you shouldn't just take my word for it. You need to study this on your own. But I want to tell you that that's what I believe, and that it it means everything for the next part of this message as it pertains to identity. I want to look at it a little bit closer before we move on. We've been looking a little bit at identity through the lens of the book of Ephesians. We've been talking about identity. how we are chosen in Christ. We have, we've been talking about how we need to get the, the voice of God up in our minds. We need to hear him more, so we have to eliminate noise cancel. We've been talking about how we have been adopted into his family, that he brought us into our, to his family and made us his son and his daughters, and that our identity is based on who we come from, and in Christ, we come from, from God. We're his children. And so that means we've been adopted. That means that, that who we are is really sons and daughters of God. Now, in a, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul covers that. He talks about that in the most generic sense. You know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Everything we are ultimately going to be and where we're ultimately headed and who we are becoming is the biggest gift. And then Ephesians chapter 2, you've been given a salvation from the powers of darkness through the gift of Jesus. It's there to save. He's defeating evil. He's defeating death. And it's a gift. There's nothing you can do to defeat evil and sin. There's nothing you can do. It's a gift. God does it for you. He literally fights the battle for you. He wins for you. And he offers you a free gift of salvation. For it is by grace you've been saved. Not that of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's a gift of God. And his salvation was his defeat and resurrection of evil and death on the cross. And when he rose up, he said, anyone that wants to follow me, you get to overcome that sin and death by following me. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 3, he's starting to go through how all of this theology about who we really are, adopted and blessed and made in the image of God, he starts to say, I want you to understand this idea. And all of it fits directly into this canister of the reality that one day we're not going somewhere, but that something else is going on through the gift of Jesus Christ. So it says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, through to the end. I just want to read this with you. You can open up your Bibles. Um, We're going to read this together. Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verses 16 through 21. I want you to read it with me. You can read it on the screen. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to point some things out to you. Just to continue, I'm not going to take you down this crazy path without helping you through it a little bit. Here's what it says. It says, I pray that out of the glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now in this passage that we just looked at, we're going to go back to the beginning, he's not talking at all about how you're supposed to behave. He's not talking at all what you're supposed to do next. He is summarizing and saying that through Jesus Christ, through the gift of God, the grace that was afforded you, the gift that you didn't deserve, I hope that that does what it's supposed to do in a very specific place, and it's important that we take notice of it. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, this is to the church at Ephesus, and he is saying, I pray that God's glorious riches grace will strengthen you where? Where does he say it strengthens you? In your inner being, inside. This is to humans. He's saying, I, I pray that the glorious riches gets in there. It gets in there, that you understand in there. That's the gift. The gift is something that's happening in you. So that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts through faith. Christ. That's not hyperbolic language. He's not saying, I want you to feel like you have Christ. He's saying, I hope that the Holy Spirit of God gets in you. I want the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you. Dwell richly, lavishly in other passages. Like when you buy a new house and you have it fully furnished and it's comfortable and it feels like home. Paul is saying, I hope that everything that God did on the cross gets in you on earth, in your heart, in your mind, in your chest, inside of you. And I pray that you being rooted, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. There, there's a huge idea here bringing the two groups of people together, Israel and now the church, are one family to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love, the love of Christ. He's talking again still about how God loves us and that that is what he wants to get inside and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure what does that mean? Filled where? You filled up. Your body filled with the presence of the living God. Your spirit with the blessing of the living God inside of you. Your mind fully raptured by the goodness and the knowledge of God. Your being totally un just feeling and experience God. He's saying that to the church in Ephesus from prison when he wrote the book. He's not saying, I hope, that one day, when you die, up in heaven, you will experience the fullness of God. I want you to experience it now. I want you to have the fullness of the measure of God right now. He goes on. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, 
according to his power that is what? At work where? His power, God's power, where is it at work? Within us. The power of the living God is given to us. God's power, resurrection power, miracle power is offered to the believer. Here you go, insert here, and now you have it. Paul is ending all of his theological moment in in the book of Ephesians with, I hope you grasp that Jesus through the Holy Spirit is fully in you. What? Fully. Fully in your body. Within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Guess what? That's us. Not just to the Ephesians. Everyone who follows Jesus has the gift of the Holy Spirit given to you. It's in you. It's full. It's rich. It's the blessing. You didn't do anything for it. God gave it to you because of who you are. And he offers it to you. So this is where it's all summed up. My friends, we aren't saved so that we can get into heaven. We're saved so that heaven can get into us. Come on. We're not saved so that we can get into heaven someday. Paul does not think that. He is not like, man, one day, just hold out, just build a wall, just, 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 just like work out all the time and, 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 and protect yourself and, and do all this stuff to get away from anything just, just so that one day, Oh, you can get the riches of God. One day you can get the presence of God. One day that you can go there. One day when you die, finally you'll get to go there. Paul is not thinking that. He's saying, I hope before we talk about how you're supposed to behave that you fully grasp that Jesus didn't come to earth so that he could take you to heaven. He came from heaven to good heaven and put it in your hearts so that you can take heaven to the world. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the heaven and earth person. We are supposed to follow in his likeness. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, we become transformed from the inside out, and Christians become the heaven to earth people. We are supposed to be the people that bring the likeness of our Father into the world. Now, what does this have to do with your identity? Hang with me, and we'll close this out. You see, identity, who you are, has nothing to do with what you do. You don't become a child because you act like a child of God. You are. If you embrace Jesus, the gift of Jesus is offered to you freely, and you are his son and daughter. God loves you for who you are, not for what you do. But the reason that I say that is because some people think they have to do something to get God to love them. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you regardless. And he did this miraculous work for you on the cross so that he could defeat sin, defeat the the evil powers in the world, and offer you the Holy Spirit of the living God so that the brokenness that you were born with can be transformed to heaven's power on earth through you. That's the message of the cross. So, identity informs your purpose, and your purpose directs behavior. When you want to talk about your purpose, all you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. 
what did God design you for? In the book of Genesis, it says that God made his people in his image to reflect the glorious image and goodness of God into the world, to rule over it. Our purpose is to be image-bearing people who represent heaven to earth. So that's the purpose. When someone doesn't understand their purpose, I talk a little bit about this on the podcast. When you understand you're made in the image of God, sorry, holy hotness. When you understand that you're made in the image of God, it's very difficult to miss your purpose. Because when you understand what God did, you go, oh, I'm supposed to be like that? God was a creator. God was a life giver. God was a helper. God is. God is loving. God is kind. God is talented in many different ways. You are supposed to reflect a part of who he is. So when you start to understand who he is and what he does, you can start to go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Everybody wants to know what job they're supposed to have. It doesn't matter what job you have. It matters who you are in any job. And Christians are called to be heaven-bringing people in every single job they bring. It's the way that they live. It's the way that they think. It's the fact that they bring their talents and their gifts. And they're reflecting God's glorious image into the world. The whole message of identity is, I made you in my image. It all got busted with sin and death. I chose Israel. Through Israel, I gave Jesus. Now, Jesus defeats the problem that you have and he offers you heaven now in you to dwell inside of you so that you can bring the goodness of God to the world around you. So part of our identity is to bring heaven to this world and part of bringing heaven to this world and part of behavior that we're supposed to have, which we're all learning, chicken, egg, egg, chicken, who knows? Get your butt to church. It all That's a part of it. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God and know that, that it was given to them as a piece of heaven to bring to the world, long to gather with the other Christians in the community and worship. They long to come together and sing the Christian songs. They long to come together and be encouraged. It's it's all part of being heaven to earth people. We're supposed to explode out of this place and bring what God has reminded us that we already have into the world. People are getting excited about Get Your Butt to Church. I mean, somebody drew this. If you're here last week, I talked about Mufasa. Mufasa wants you to get your butt to church. It's true. So here's the deal. Paul, after Ephesians chapter three, he turns the corner. And I read it in the NIV, but in, in, in chapter 4, he starts out telling the church, because of who you are, because of the gift in you, this is what it looks like. This is what it starts to look like. It just, you just, he just says it's, it, it's time to start bringing heaven to earth, and he makes it so simple. He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, he's in prison when he writes this, implore you to do what? to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another, in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Literally, he just starts going into anything that looks and sounds like Jesus and anything that God is for. Okay, now, because you know who you are, because you are made in the image of God, and God 
through Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit of God, like you have it, you're supposed to now start to walk. Just go walk, just live it out. Just whatever that says to you about who you are, go and start to live that. This is your behavior, live this out. You see, what God did is through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, he made a way so that you could walk. He put an engine inside of you. He said, here you go, now you can go walk. And I mean, the Spirit of God is gonna tell you how to be. It's so much bigger than just being morally perfect or pure. This is all about you having heaven inside and casting it to the world. Bring peace, why? Because God's a God of peace. Bring joy, why? Because God's a God of joy. And you are becoming a person of joy. You are a heaven to earth person. You're looking like Jesus, so walk. Walk this thing out. God made a way so that you could walk. God's whole purpose in making a way is so that we could reflect his glorious image to the world. People need Jesus. Jesus gave himself to us so we could give ourselves to people. If we don't know who we are, we won't act the way we're supposed to be. That's the point of identity. It's who you are so you can walk. God loves you so you can walk. This is it, this is who God is. He is the way maker. Made a way for us to walk. Let's stand up and sing this. Come on. Come on. That is who you are. 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 right like life starts and you got the spirit of the living God and you're supposed to bring heaven to earth and then you take a step and it hurts and then you take a step and it falls and then you and you fall and then you take a step and then it kind of feels like you messed up and maybe you lost the spirit and then maybe you like forget that he's there or maybe you do something that thinks he's definitely not here now and we go through this process here's the thing about the gift of God it's eternal it's forever he will never leave or forsake you once you embrace the gift of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit of God moves into you so that you can start to bring heaven to earth. And here's the deal. It's a process. It's a process. And when you don't feel it, God is working. He's in you. He's working. When you mess up, God's working through your mess up. When you trip up, God, God helps you through the fall. 
When you understand something new, God's with you. He stays with you. He's working all the time. Isn't it amazing? When you go to sleep tonight, God is working. Come on. God is working. When you make a huge mistake with your life, guess what? God is working. And guess what? God is still in there. His feet are still up on the ottoman of your heart. And he is relaxed. And he is doing his thing. And he is transforming you. And he's making you into more like him. And even through your biggest pitfalls and failures and your greatest successes, God is steadfast working. He's working all the time. He's working right now. He's working tomorrow. He's been working for thousands of years. He's never going to stop working no matter what you think and no matter what you feel. He's working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop. Next week, I'm going to literally jump into a, a way for you to understand every piece of scripture so that you can look at it and, and understand how you're supposed to walk. There's a way. There's a way that you can look at so some of these passages in the Bible we might look at it and go, well, wait a minute, am I supposed to do this? Or was that cultural? Or was that historical? And there can be some, some, some very confusing things. And so next week what I want to do is if Paul told us 2,000 years ago to walk, we still need to walk. And there's a specific way we're supposed to walk. And the Bible informs us of that. And it's a trustworthy book to show us the way and how we're supposed to walk. And so next week I'm going to give you what I found to be one of the most helpful um, illustrations for interpreting the entire Bible your identity and how you're supposed to walk. So don't miss that. We love you guys. Go Buckeyes.